and welcome to Modern Homemakers. I'm Leah Parker and I'm here with Donna Otto and we are in our 11th lesson about staying. Today we'll be talking about staying in friendships and if you so desire and you're looking for an additional resource, there is a book called Friends of the Heart that Donna wrote with her would you consider her mentor, friend, mentor, Emily? No, no friend, friend. Emily yeah, Barnes. Friend, yeah. That um, we think you could find on Amazon or possibly a used bookstore. Yes. So I can't wait to hear about staying in friendships. Oh, thank you, Leah. It's so wonderful to have your smiling face across the studio desk with me. Yes, it was a fun write because it's a little book. We used to call it a little book um, because it's not very big. It has 100 pages or 120 pages. And this is the best part. So my friend Emily was um, a jean girl, uh, a calico print girl, little ballet slipper girl, and, you know, my severe black and white. And, and so we decided that we were going to do a picture. And she said, how about jean jackets? And I said, how about not? You know? <laughs> but this, the publisher thought it was a fun piece to put together. So it was. And I still love this picture. And of course, Emily uh, died with one of the last bouts that she went through of cancer. So it's a treasure for me to have this book and all the memories we have together. So we're talking about friendships, staying in friendships. Wow. That is a hard thing to do, staying in friendships. I think often people talk about, um, do I ever learn enough about friendships? H how do I learn what I need to learn about friendships before I engage in friendships? Shall I just go out there and do it? I, I don't really have an answer to that exactly, but in front of me I have a pile of things and in my file of, file of resources, I have so many treasured articles, lists, uh, poetry, letters, cards. Friendship has been a source of great trial and difficulty to me, great determination for me, great learning for me. And when I think I finally got to the source theologically about friends, my path smoothed out along a very long, smooth way. So I think for me it is a lifelong uh, project. I have a graph in my hand, which you cannot see, but was very helpful to me, given to me by um, a woman who is in the area of adult counseling, and she described friendships by two basic phrases, selfish enslaved or selfless freedom. And when I first re read it, I thought, selfish enslaved? Who's ever enslaved in a friendship? But it didn't take me long to figure out the truth of that. So I'm just going to give you a few words about this diagram. The enslaved is fearful, lazy, procrastinating, rigid, and self-protecting. 
That's quite a list, isn't it? But I remember looking at that list and thinking how rigid I was about my expectations about friendships. And then the other half of it, the freedom side, was fearless, uh, fearless, wait, randomly, no, fearlessly, that's what it was, fearlessly, thoughtless, reckless, scattered, and self-promoting. So when you get into a a relationship with someone that is God-sent, Everything you do, you just wash away all this list of things, all these expectations. Oh, she doesn't do. And I found in my life, the people I have loved the most, have been loved by the most, are very different than me. So my old, my old notion of friendship was, of course, very uh, off skew because I was looking for someone like me. Well, we would have been useless together, and there probably isn't someone like me or you. So think about the friends you have and think about the conflicts you have. And I ask you to consider that maybe you've been looking for someone who's like you instead of someone who's not like you. And maybe you've just been looking instead of waiting and praying. So there are a lot of words that people use for friendships, like formal friends. They could be spiritual directors or mentors disciples, disciplers, relationships with teachers or instructors or Bible teachers or pastors, institutional friends that you have. I have institutional friends from my seminary days. I have mentoring friends. I have colleagues who I have mentored others with together. I have heard people call their coaches a friend. Or the older woman is a friend that Titus speaks of. I think those are formal friends. They're relationships that establish because of the work they're going to do together, not because they're just um, attracted to one another. And then I think informally, there are wisdom friends. Often these are older people or spiritual friends. And I know I have had spiritual friends who singularly the relationship I've had with them when cultivated or they've cultivated with me was that I needed some of their wisdom and spirituality and their voice on the issues that I was dealing with. And then I think there are soulmates, deep friends, friends of the heart, best friends. I know we don't use that anymore, but I think there's a holiness to the difference between occasional friends, lightweight friendships, and those that are soulmates, deep friends, friends of the heart, best friends. I have a best friend who lives now in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am always struck by the fact that no matter how long apart we we live or don't talk for four or five months, picking up the phone for her call or my call to her It's like we had never left each other's space. Those are friends that I consider um, holy friends and lifelong friends. So what is a friend of my heart? Um, A friend of my right hand, as Madame Lingo calls them. She is one of a handful of lifetime friends. And I think, as Tish Harrison might say, we are bundled together. We are bundled together. I moved away from her neighborhood, and it's been a little over three years now. Just neighborhood. We're just talking. We were around the corner from each other for 40 years or 38 years, and now we're 
at least 10 minutes away. But it's been a grieving process because I would show up at her door in my robe or vice versa. She would show up at my door. Our husbands were used to finding us together on our beds, um, head to head, foot to foot. Uh, We traveled more. We were younger then. We prayed together, and sometimes we weren't praying as in verbally praying. We would be silently together in agreement about something that we were both uh, concerned about. In the pace of life, we can now literally be called um, a response, or you can call it a call when you leave this message and you're, you're, you're not leaving a heart message, you're just leaving a message saying, would you please respond to me? I need to talk to you. Uh, Joan and I wa- walked close and personal. We traveled together in every kind of relationship, every, every part of our relationship. And I think when I talk to you as an audience and talk about the two-step love God and love others, that has always been the structure of our relationship. Uh, we have gone to church together as families. We have celebrated holidays together as families. And right now, in this stage of our lives, they are going to a different church than we are going to, and we are traveling in a very different way than they are traveling. So a, it, a friend like that comes and stays, but not necessarily in the stay, same staying way as we started our friendship. Now, there are many passages in the scripture, and I'm going to read through this list just, just enough to give you a few resources if you want to look them up. In every book of the Bible, you can find either a friendship that you can talk about or some words that are printed about friendships. Romans 12, 4 and 5. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Frederick Beekner says, My assumption is that the story of any one of us is in some measure the story of all of us. That I believe is true. 2 Corinthians 3.18 1 Corinthians 13 and 1, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. I have been that kind of friend, and I've had that kind of friend. Uh, Just a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. When I first entered into the world of public speaking and writing my first book and after I'd written six or seven books, I found this literally to happen to me, and I was stunned by it. People wanted to do something with me so they could say they had done something with Donna Otto. Now, that's not how I do relationships, but it came to be true, and I I said, Lord, what shall I do about that? I don't want to say no to people, but I also don't want that sort of icky feeling I felt at being used. Uh, they weren't really interested in Donna Otto. They were interested in having another notch on their belt, so to speak. So I asked the Lord, and what he told me to do was, if someone called and said they wanted to meet with me, always ask the same question, well, what do you want to talk about? Do you have something on your mind? Is a proposal something? Uh, and then when they say uh, yes, then say to them, Will you just send me a note about that so I can be prepared 
to have something ready. And then when I get the note, we'll schedule a lunch. I could not believe how many people fell off the earth when I said, okay, you want to talk about bottles? Well, then send me information about bottles and I'll be prepared. I never heard from them again. So that was sort of the confirmation that it wasn't they really were interested in being together. Um, First John 3.18, love is not a matter of words or talk. It must be genuine and show itself in action. And Charlene Ann Bombeck, who's a writer, a very funny, humorist woman, she said, Help us, Lord, to see one another. Help us to unveil and reflect your glory so that when you look into each other's eyes, we see you. Now, that's the kind of love that I'm talking about when I'm talking about a friend that you want to spend your life staying with. Again, the definition, the word itself, can be found in Genesis, Second Samuel, John, Matthew, James, um, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Judgment, Judges, I should say, First Samuel, Second Samuel, several places in Second Samuel, because there's that wonderful story about Jonathan and David and Samuel and Absalom, Second Kings, Second Chronicles, Job, Psalm. Shall I go on? In almost every book of the Bible, you'll find the word friend, and you'll find how God is choosing to use it. In Proverbs, there are two particular verses. One is Proverbs 18.24. If a man ever has friends, take one of the wisest, wealthiest, and most powerful men who ever lived and listen to what Solomon said about friends. Proverbs 18.24, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. And Proverbs 27.6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Have you ever been wounded by your friend only to discover they were right on, spot on, looking at your life and saying, well, this is what I see. So I want to say a couple of points just lightly to you about how we engage with friendships that are friendships that will last, staying friendships. One, choose carefully. Two, make a commitment. Three, consistently care. You are who you hang out with. That's an auto motto, and I believe in it fully. You are who you hang out with. Just there's no doubt that whoever you are hanging out with is going to have an effect on you in the same way you're going to have an effect on them. So choosing carefully is important. Through the years, my mentioning the words choosing carefully, people just throw up their hands like this is not picking out apples at the grocery store. But in many ways it is just like that. You choose carefully. First Corinthians 15.33 says that bad company corrupts good morals. Well, I moved many times in my lifetime, and in that moving, I ran into many different kinds of people. And maybe yours isn't moving, maybe yours is just changing and turning into different situations that allow you to meet new people. But whatever your environment is, that does not dictate 
to the choice of friendships you make. So choose carefully. Don't let anybody write in. I often use this illustration when I t speak about friendships. Friendships are like your house. You're, you're the house. You have many rooms in your house. You have a front porch. You have a sidewalk. You have a staircase. And, and people who come into your life have by your grace, given entrance into those various places. And some of those are curb friends. That's where they are, that's where they start, that's where they stay. They're always just curbside friends. You go out there, sit on the curb, chat with them a little bit. That's more Chicago talk than Arizona talk. We don't sit on the curb very often in Arizona. Or you have a patio friend, or you have someone who comes into your living room, but would never come into the kitchen for a meal. And certainly you have very few people who come into your bedroom. That's the first thing. Choose carefully. The second thing is make a commitment. And that really is nothing more than talking about the terms of intimacy, of acceptance, of humor, of a willingness to make a sacrifice without saying, yeah, she kept me waiting again. Joan, my dearest friend in the last 45 years, I kept her waiting for all, like, she'd say all her life, because I still fall back into being tardy. But she was the first person who had uh, enough guts to say, do you know you're always late? And I thought, no, I don't know I'm always late. Am I always late? And of course, I want to be defensive about that. I say, no, I'm not always late. But turned out I was pretty often late. She helped me not be late, because she loved me enough that she recognized that she thought I didn't know I was always late, and I, I didn't know it. So there's an intimacy, there's an acceptance, there's a, a willingness to speak out about things. And there's definitely in a relationship that's a staying relationship, there's a perseverance. I can tell you in your deepest relationships, you will find the deepest hurts and the deepest joys. And lastly, I think in a relationship that is a staying relationship, there must be forgiveness. For the very nature of intimate friendships, forgiveness must exist. The mere fact that you know me means you've already forgiven me because I, I can be offensive. Can you be offensive? We all can. So to offer forgiveness, to extend forgiveness, to respond with grace upon grace upon grace, as John tells us, is an important part of having a staying relationship. And then lastly, consistently care. And I use a passage from uh, the book of Acts that really brought this point home to me. It's Acts chapter 1. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that right. 2 Timothy. It's 2 Timothy chapter 1. And it's Paul writing the letter to Timothy. Timothy was one of his disciples. 2 Timothy. Can you hear my pages going here? And I read this, I cannot tell you exactly how long ago, but I was so struck with this list that Paul really made. He wasn't making a friendship list, but he was asking Timothy to do something for him. So I'm going to read it to you. And he says, um, I'll start at verse 13. Hold fast the pattern of sound words, which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, right? Then he goes to, this you know, 
like you know about this already, this you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me. Now, does that sound like a negative thing? Yes. This doesn't sound like Paul saying, oh, they all had a good reason and they all left. He says, no, Timothy, they all turned away from me and they left me except for one person. And that was Onesiphorus. And he said, so Paul says to Timothy, the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. And here's the list. This became my list for what I believe anyone in a truly lasting, staying relationship provides and gets in return. All right. For he often refreshed me. He was not ashamed of my chain. And when he arrived in Rome, he sought me and very zealously found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me in Ephesus. So Paul writes asking Timothy to remember the house of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed Paul. Paul's not going to be there. Paul's on his way out. This is the end of Paul's life when he's writing this letter to Timothy. And he wants Timothy to clearly understand Timothy is Paul's disciple. And Paul's been in jail. He's been deprived. Timothy knows about all of his life. He knows he's been in Ephesus. He, he even speaks in the early part of the book, of the letter to Timothy, about Timothy's family, Eunice and Lois, who are his mother and grandmother. And he says, but I, but I want you to remember the house of Onesiphorus. In those three verses, Second Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 15 through 18, he refreshed me. He refreshed me. He consistently cared for me. He showed his way of following through with me. He was always available. Paul describes to Timothy how Onesiphorus saved him, walked with him, uh, helped him. And he brings this message to Timothy, one, so that Timothy will encourage the house of Onesiphorus and that the children and the family of Onesiphorus will always have what they need to have. Paul felt deserted. I love the fact that Paul in his old age is now willing to say, this is the hard time. We live in the desert. I know the Sonoran Desert is a green desert, but it's a place to be on guard. It can be very frightening. There's not a lot of water here. There's not much shade. While it's beautiful, it's quite void and barren and deserted. And that's how Paul felt. Paul was deserted. He was deprived of his friends. He was jailed. He was left. He was rejected. And Paul's not talking about turning these men away from God, but rather they turned away from Paul and made him feel left out. But Onesiphorus often refreshed me. He not only refreshed me, Paul says, he was constant. He was a man who Paul looked forward to seeing because he brought refreshment. He brought refreshment. He also um, not, didn't desert him. He refreshed him, and he was not ashamed of him. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a friend who was ashamed of you. Have you ever been afraid of, have you ever had a friend who you were ashamed of? I have. 
And I know that I've had friends who've been ashamed of me, gone to a party and talked someone's head off, not giving them a chance to say another word or laugh too loudly or all the things that I can look back at my behavior when I was a younger woman. Well, now, that could make you ashamed of me and say, I I don't want to ever go to another party with her. And what Paul is saying, Onesiphorus was not ashamed of me. And you know where Paul was when he's writing this account? Paul was in jail. Now, it's not that he was in jail for having been a criminal or done anything wrong. He was in jail for the cause of Christ. It doesn't matter. He was still in jail. And the fourth thing he did was he eagerly searched for me. Paul says, Onesiphorus eagerly searched for me. And I can remember thinking through a number of transitions of technology. Like, remember when we had one phone in the whole house? Well, I'm old enough for that. Maybe you're not. And then before me, there was one line on the whole community. And we were a party line. You had to wait till someone got off the phone before you could make a phone call. And I'd ask my mom if I could use the phone. And then pretty soon phones were more available. And then everybody had a phone. And, and then everybody had an email. And then if someone moved... You could have seven phone numbers, office number, cell phone, home number, uh, email, business email. And I remember literally thinking there are nine ways that I could reach this person. Nine. And they were all real, but where did I start? And I think that's what Paul felt on Ephesus had done. The jails during the time that Paul is writing this are little hovels. If you've been to any part of Rome, to any part of the area where jails are now relics, you go to look at them there. They're very far from one another. It's not a long building that you go to building A, floor 12, C, cell number two, you went and found a little jail that had uh, two or three prisoners held in it. And that's what Onesiphorus did. He looked and he looked and he looked. He eagerly searched me until he found me. And then lastly, he said, he serves me. Paul says that this friend of his had been his guard, a guard who came and was there and available when Paul needed him. And now at the end of Paul's life, he's saying, don't forget him. Don't let Onesiphorus do without, please, Timothy, for he has been a true friend of my heart. Choosing friends is a concept I want you to give thought to, making certain that the individual who you are befriending is is a person you want to go a long walk with. I've had many people who've said to me, I met her, it was instant, was love at first sight. And sometimes that does happen. But I've heard many more counter stories. We became friends, we had kids over, we had couple time, we even took a trip together. And then suddenly she disappeared. Or suddenly I thought, I don't wanna be with her anymore. These things happen in friendships. But if you're talking about a deep desire to have a staying friendship, one that's committed, is regular, evidence is love, I, I encourage you to choose carefully, make a commitment of your heart, and be an individual who consistently cares. I assure you, if you approach these uh, three items in deepening your friendships 
or in new friendships, you will begin to make life partner friends. Remember that your home, the front porch of your house, the kitchen of your house, the bedroom of your house is like your heart. And sometimes you have friends who will always be curb or front porch friends. And very few times in life, statistically now, between four and seven people in a lifetime could ever be bedroom friends, people you invite to sit on your bed with you and talk about your heart, a girlfriend who you love and care about, who you travel with, and who sees you at your best and at your worst. God has called us to befriend one another, first in the love of Jesus Christ. And secondly, I hope these salient points which I've offered to you today will be an encouragement to making and keeping staying friendships. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Donna, for that message. And thank you for all listening with us through the years. I want to remind everyone we still have some books left for loving life as a stay-at-home mom. If you've listened to 10 episodes, you can go on to our homepage and there is a form right there and we will send you one of these books for free. We are modern homemakers. Remember the common begin and the uncommon finish. Make today uncommon by staying in the friendships that God's called you to.